0: Welcome, friends. I am so excited. Today, we are diving into the very first episode of this brand new season. And our theme is how you can create a little extra income from your homestead passions. And I say passions because this doesn't have to necessarily apply to someone with hundreds of acres. Like if you are just into this idea of backyard homesteading or urban homesteading, there are lots of ways that you can provide value to your community, whether that's local or online, and help to fund your homestead goals and projects as a result. So we have a ton of amazing guests scheduled for this season. And our very first one, who I am thrilled that I get to talk to today, is someone I have known in an online capacity for many, many years this Lady knows her stuff, and I'm very pleased to be able to interview my good friend, Cian Kossel, on the podcast today. She, along with her husband, own Farmhouse Teas. Now, if you hang out in any of the homestead circles online, it's very likely you have come across her product. She's all over the place. She's a great marketer. She is also a mom to four adopted kids from all over the world a lady with a passion for natural health, and she's an expert at designing a physical product and bringing it to market effectively. The products that the castles offer reflect their belief that they are stewards of the land. I know we all can say a hearty amen to that, and that food is our best medicine. Each tea has been carefully crafted to not only look beautiful, but also taste great and help support small family farms. Now, you can follow along with Cian's family's journey through their vlog or on YouTube, their Instagram or Facebook, and definitely go check out farmhouseteas.com for all the amazing teas. Like these are my favorite teas in existence. Kombucha supplies and all sorts of apothecary stuff, elderberries, herbs, the whole nine yards. So without further ado, here is Cianne and make sure you listen all the way to the end. She has a really cool freebie for you um, and she'll tell you how to get that before we wrap up. So here we go. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose Podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle, and I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Stan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jill. So, Stan and I go a ways back, I guess. I mean, I feel like I've known of you on the internet for a long time, and you've been just awesome as I've brought things to market in supporting, and then I've loved to be able to, um, as I've promoted your teas, so I feel like we've been each other as internet friends for a long time.
1: (laughs) That's been a while. Time flies when you're having fun,
0: right? All the stuff we have going on between the two of us. So so let's start off. Can you kind of give the audience a little bit of background on how you came up with the idea for your tea company?
1: Yeah, so we moved from the city to our farm almost eight years ago, I guess Um, we were living in a tiny duplex that we rented from my dad and it was on a main street. And at the time we had three children in in this tiny, it was probably under a thousand square feet and we needed more space for our kids. So they were getting big and the tiny backyard was enough. So we moved out here and that's where we started getting more into homesteading and farming and um, growing our own herbs. So I started with a calendula flower. They are really easy to grow and they're super abundant. I need to do something with them. So they ended up being tea and salve and I'd make them as gifts. And my, as my husband would say, I'm a mad scientist and I don't just make one little bit. I have to make a whole pile of them. So I had to do something with all of that. So we decided to take it to the market and see if we could sell it. So we started at the farmer's market and um, craft shows, Christmas shows, and it was selling. So we decided to go from there. And tea was most popular because when you're at the farmer's market, a lot of people don't know what a salve and a balm is. So those are not as noticeable. Um, They don't draw as much attention. So we kind of went with the tea because that was the most popular.
0: Okay, so it's cool. It sounds like it started off as more of a personal interest and then transformed into something that you saw could be A product that would help other people,
1: right? Yep. Yeah, which I feel like is
0: pretty common in, well, in business in general, entrepreneurship in general, but also in the homestead space. We're drawn to this lifestyle or whatever with different passions in mind, and then it sometimes blossoms into something else. Um, So I know you said that you started to notice that people were more drawn toward the tea because they didn't understand uh, as much about the salves and the Mm balms. So as you started to develop this product idea, how did you kind of figure out your market? You know, if there was a market for this, these products, and how did you kind of hone in on that?
1: Right. Um the farmers market gave us a lot of opportunity for trial and error. We could, you know, make new things and see what was selling, what wasn't selling. Um, We could look at competition that was at the market and see what they were doing that was working or wasn't working and the type of people we were kind of looking for. So with RT specifically, Um, We do, we have a lot of customers in the baby boomer kind of um, arena and there's really kind of two markets for tea is that generation um, and those who like um, things that went on in that generation, you know, kind of relate to that. They had grandparents, you know, that were on the farm Um, and then there's the other side of the tea, which is more of a new agey, younger crowd, more hip, um, that kind of thing and just the you know our wanting to get into farming and homesteading just appeal more to the other kind of customer base and because we were farming and we were on a farm we were growing some of the stuff we were putting in our tea we had lots of customers ask us about farming how do you what do you do with the peppermint that I have in my yard can I make tea out of that so we kind of went that direction and we built our company based on the requests that we got from the customers and kind of the common threads that tied them all together as they were taste testing our tea at the market or um, getting them as gifts or however it was they were finding us.
0: Okay, I love that. So um, I know when I coach folks in business stuff, one of the things that a lot of people get really hung up on is that they want to serve everybody, right? Right. I don't want to exclude anyone. And I love what you said there because you right off the bat identified those two generations. Mm -hmm. And then what are some other ways, Could you give some tips to anyone listening, like how you were able to really narrow in on which of those sets of people to, that you wanted to serve? And not that you would exclude anybody right. from buying your teas, right? No, but no, how did you right. really start serving those particular people?
1: Right. I think it was just noticing what kind of people were coming to our booth, what kind of people were signing up and things, who spent the most time there talking to us versus the ones that would walk by. And then just looking at your competition and going, well, what, what customer is it that they have? Is that my customer or not? How do I serve um, the people You know, like you could even go on Amazon and look up whatever product it is that you're doing and read the reviews and see what it is they didn't like about it. You know, they might say something about the packaging, you know, it didn't appeal to them for some reason or, um, you know, what they did like about it. And then, you know, how does that fit the, the people that keep showing up? You know, don't go against the stream of customers that are naturally coming to you to go hunt down someone and then try and find a way to force them to buy whatever it is you're selling or in our case tea you know it didn't make sense to try and appeal to the the younger crowd so much because we already had the other crowd coming to us and so that would just be working against what we already had
0: right that makes sense can you speak to um, competitors for a minute, because I heard you mention that a right. couple of times. And I know a lot mm-hmm. of new business owners, especially those in the farmer's market type of space or these right. handcrafted goods. I hear a lot of folks get really worried about, oh, I can't sell eggs because there's someone else down the right. road selling eggs or there's somebody yeah. else doing the goat soap. Can you, How did you kind of work yeah. through those concerns?
1: Yeah, we had that with ours when we were at the market. We were the only tea people there for a couple of years. And then we had competition show up. And we were a little discouraged at first because they're like, oh, they're going to take our customers. So it, it's a matter of how you package it and in a way that it's different from your competition, but also that it's appealing to the kind of customer you want to have. But that it ended up at the farmer's market with the competition. It actually helped us because people are walking around looking at booths and they're like, oh, there's tea. Oh, there's tea again. So, you know, it was like this... Uh, awareness thing you know because there was two of you now and then they you know they're it's like so i worked at office depot um just after high school that's actually where i met my husband Mm -hmm. um but we would always have people come in and go you know be confused "Is this office depot or office max you know because a lot of the time they were two separate stores. They're now the same store, <laughs> yeah. um, but the branding was all the same. They all had the same thing inside. Everything looked the same. They were the same colors. And the only thing different was the name. So I don't think they probably did a really great exam- uh, job of separating themselves and making themselves look different. And it, it has a lot to do with just, you know, the look of things. What are they going to remember about you? If all the tea looks the same, then you're just the tea person at the market. But if you're the tea person that, you know, you've got the black and the white farm stuff and the other tea companies got, uh, I don't know, they wear yoga pants and um, drink green tea. And I'm trying to think of what their their branding would look like. You know, we had the burlap yeah. and, the, and the different colors. And so we still, you know, we were a little different. So it's just about how you package it and stand out. I think it doesn't matter if there's competition. There were lots of egg people at the market too. And um, some egg people stood out because their eggs were $9 $9 a dozen, some were three, you know? And so that's one way you could stand out. Um, But I think the important thing is communicating that one, you're different and two, why why you're different.
0: I agree. And, you know, that's one of the things, your branding is what drew me to you. I mean, I knew you online, but that's, you know, I am not maybe your right. traditional tea drinker. Uh, right. I know some tea companies, because there's a lot of tea companies out there, like some are more yeah. like high society, fancy looking. Like their branding yes. is very like Pinkies elegant. All the way. Yes. And that's <laughs> definitely not me. And then some, like you said, have like they're more kind of hippie and like right. organic and they have the curly moons and the suns and the flowers and right. the packages. Yeah. And like that's like I'm not opposed to that. It's just not my style, but your right. just even your name and your branding. Is And that's why, you know, part of the reason I I love your teas, even if they were in a brown paper bag, I would still drink them, (laughs) them. you know, that branding, we do identify with that branding. And so it's not about being the only one in your space. It's just how you, how you set yourself apart. I think that's great.
1: great We encountered that in uh, our short time in grocery stores, which we found out that wasn't really for us, but um, you've got a 60 foot long shelf in the grocery store of tea, you know, and how do you how do you stand out from that you know people are going to go with what they're familiar with most likely you know something like a lipton you know they're going to grab it and they're buying whatever in the store and they just need to grab whatever so they grab their lipton so you know some markets are harder to do that in cuz you got to stand out from so many different people on one shelf really fast yeah um, it's easier to do it online it's easier to do it in a smaller market like a farmers market or a craft show or locally where you don't have as much competition
0: and but I that, think that probably is down to kind of like, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, the type of customer, because like you said, the type right. of customer who goes into a grocery store, they're in a hurry. They're not there for an experience. Like, get me the Lipton and let me get out of this place. Right. Versus yep. someone at the farmer's market. It just has a different, um, different feel. and mm-hmm. different, Yeah. They're they're wanting to pay a little bit more because they probably right. care about stability and how it was produced. So yeah, just, um, it just would make right. sense that that would be the right place to sell your type of tea, the farmer's right. market. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a minute to talk about one of our favorite topics, mason jars. Who doesn't love figuring out a new way to use a mason jar? I know I do, but lately I've been on a mission to reduce the amount of single use plastics around our homestead and I found a super cool tool that has helped me do that. Recap, mason jar lids easily convert a regular old mason jar into a soap pump or a sprayer or a strainer, or they make your pantry storage even handier. I've been using these lids to help me make kefir, to create bug sprays for my garden, and to use all the pantry supplies and herbs and spices in my cupboards. Recap Mason Jars is a super cool small company. They're based out of Pennsylvania. And of course the lids are made in the good old US of A. When I was sharing with Recap some of the garden sprays I have been making this year, they wanted to put together a special gardening kit for you guys, my podcast listeners. It includes a pump, a sprayer, a couple flip tops, and two shaker inserts. You can use it for the garden sprays or you could use it for a million other uses. Really, the sky is the limit. You can save $15 on this kit and get free shipping, and you don't even need a coupon. All you have to do is go over to theprairiehomestead.com slash recap and put it in your shopping cart. And now, back to our episode. So a minute ago, you mentioned kind of listening to your customers as Mm -hmm. you were creating. Can you you share a little bit how you do that? Because I feel like that's a really, really important piece of product creation.
1: So in the beginning, like at the market, we would just talk to them, you know, about what they're doing. They would offer information, but we um, also gathered email addresses there and then we would communicate with them through our email list. And um, we still do that now because we're online mostly, but, you know, at least quarterly, we send out a survey asking, you know, what, what kind of things are you looking for in our newsletter? We send out a newsletter every Wednesday, our wellness Wednesday. We want to make sure that we're relative to what it is that they're looking for and that we're answering their problems with our content or, you know, giving them what it is that they're looking for. Um, And so we just ask them, you know, what is it you like about this? What is it you don't like? Um, We do that with tea flavors too. I'm redoing a tea right now that was one of our first teas. And um, in the beginning, we kind of branded locally and then we moved to online and that wasn't as uh, relevant online. So we changed the tea name, but we never really modified the tea flavor. And so to do that, we email the customers who already bought it and we ask them directly, what is it you like about it and what would you change? What didn't you like about it? Does it need more of this? Does it need less of this? Um, does it just not your tea altogether? So we just do that thing with you know our products and then with our content, um, We'll do that with you know the shopping experience through the checkout or through our packaging. Um, we just make sure we're always communicating with our customers and asking you know what is it you want more of.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I do that a lot as well as you know. Just I feel like that's right. so important. And like my audience gives me the best ideas mm-hmm. for products and content and podcast episodes. So a yep. lot of gold there if you're just willing to listen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know. They generally give you that information. The other way um, we do that through reviews, we have lots of reviews under each of our teas. And um, that's part of our customer experience is that once that customer purchases something, receives it, um, my my help sends out um, handwritten thank you cards and samples and you know, letting them know that they can review the tea and leave us, you know, we really want to know if they liked it or not, because if there's something wrong, we're gonna fix it. And if they liked it, that helps other people know if that's the tea for them or not. So, you know, reviews and just making sure that you don't just end with selling them the thing and then you're done.
0: And every time I get a box from you, I always feel like you went the extra mile. Like it's just, it's pretty, it's beautifully packaged and you have the handwritten note in there and you have the, like, I always like your um tissue paper. Like it's mm-hmm. pretty. The
1: tissue paper made us famous.
0: It's the best. <laughs> tissue paper ever. So it's like, I always think when I'm packaging something or I'm looking at packaging, um, and I know some people hate Apple products, but like, you gotta admit their packaging is
1: very detailed. It's very
0: detailed. And they thought about every little detail and making it this experience when you open a box. And that's like how I feel when I open your teas. And I think that's really important. And it does prompt those little touches, like makes you want to leave a review and it just. Right.
1: Yeah. It helps keep the repeat customers coming in. You're not just done. The other day I ordered some products, some healthcare type products from a small company. And I was really excited about them. I loved their branding online and everything. And their shopping experience was great. But when I got it, it was all thrown in a USPS bubble mailer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was really disappointed. First I was wondering how it got there in one piece, because I I don't like to send things that way. I'm afraid they're gonna break those yeah. like lotions and stuff. And then it was just disappointing. because everything else was great. And then it just, the care at the end was like, okay, we're done.
0: Yes. Yeah. That wasn't very
1: impressive. Yeah.
0: They really matter. Yeah. I've had those experiences too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So you mentioned you changed the name of your company. And I remember when that happened. Okay. Here's a, here's a silly question. How did you pronounce the old name?
1: That's not silly. That's why we changed it.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, there you go. Bingo.
1: it, it's French, okay. which, you know, Americans don't tend to be. We don't do like, well with that. No. Yeah. Um, it's fiacre. So yeah. Saint Fiacre. And in France, they actually call their taxi cabs Fiocras. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So it was a saint and he healed people using herbs from yeah. his garden. Okay. So the backstory is why we chose the name. And sure. we had family tell us in the beginning that's not a good idea. <laughs> but no, I was determined. I like the story we're going to use that name. Yeah. And then, you know, our customers and their feedback again let us know, you know, like you said, how do you say that or, mm-hmm. you know, in it and then we had it in cursive too, so it was harder to read it anyway. Right. Um and so we did a lot of explaining there and it, you know, it didn't really say what we did. In the beginning, we didn't start with T, so out of all fairness, we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning when we picked sure. the name, but, um, later it didn't say what we did and it didn't say who it was for. So, and then when we went online, we realized they can't say it. There's no way they're going to be able to spell it when they're searching us. So we decided it was time to change. We, you know, narrowed down to tea. We knew what we were going to do. We're on a farm. So farmhouse tea seemed like the obvious pick for that situation. And it's way easier to spell and say
0: <laughs> way easier. I'm, I'm like embarrassed to put like, I was called it St. The Acres. No, they we had lots
1: of people do that. We had customers go and I'd look at it and like, well, that's what it looks like. And we're a farm. So why wouldn't they say that? So, yeah.
0: I have a friend who um, speaks French. It's her native language. Uh-huh. She always would make fun of Americans for how we pronounce French, right? French words. And she's like, you guys have the worst accents. <laughs> we do. Like, we sound like total hicks when we, talk right? when we try to say French words. Right. So that's what I was doing, but okay. I, yeah, right. I love, I love the new name. And I felt like right. as soon as you, when I, I remember when you changed it, it just right. felt, it just, it just felt a like bit you hit better a nail on the head when you changed
1: yeah. it. Yeah. Great. Right. One of those, those light bulb moment moments. And For as sure. Dave Ramsey says, it was one of those sacred cows to shoot.
0: <laughs> it's hard to shoot those sacred. I've shot some <laughs> sacred cows in my business. It's hard though. I, I get it. I mean, and right. I think a couple good lessons here. Number one it's okay like to change at some yes. point. And yeah. I know, like I have this um, new program called the self-funded homestead and I've been working with some people in it and there, a lot of folks are really struggling with naming their businesses. It's kind of like small. That's
1: the hardest businesses. part.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they're, you know, they're like, well, should I call it with my last name or should I call it a farm or a homestead? Or should I talk about the product? And I know there's a lot of um, trepidation and I you know, it's good to think through it. Like you said, you know, can people right. pronounce it? Does it describe yeah. what I'm about? But at some point, you got to pull the trigger. Right. And if it's an utter disaster, you can always change it. You it's better think, it. Yeah. to move forward than to just get stuck on the name for five minutes. Right.
1: Years. Yeah. And what held us up, too, is when you're getting started, you set up all that legal stuff under that name and that creates a problem. But what we found out is that our brand can be a different name from our legal name. So it was, it was not the biggest wall to knock down, you know, like we thought it might be. It wasn't It wasn't the stumbling block we thought it would be because we didn't have to change all that stuff. and um, We did have to change labels. We threw out labels we had printed. Um, it cost us, you know, in the end, just to switch things over. But if we would have held on to that, it would have cost us a lot more. So our business absolutely. would not be what it is today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have to, at some point, I'm sure decide you know, we pay pay the piper now or pay later in right. yep. loss of of business. So yeah, for that sure. makes sense.
1: Yep. So let's, sometimes let's, you got to stop to get ahead. <laughs> for sure.
0: Yep. Do a re- reroute of your yes. path. Yeah. Let's talk about pricing for a minute because I know sure. this is another area where people get a little bit paralyzed. Right. How do how do you figure your wholesale prices versus your retail?
1: Yeah. Right. So we just. We just use industry standard, and I know when you're starting out, this seems kind of like a lot. So, but it's necessary. So, standard industry standard pricing is your cost, your real true costs. You want to make sure you include your labor, which a lot of people don't, especially when you're starting out. Um, We we tend to think more of like you know the package we put it in. We want to include that cost and the ingredients um, or whatever it is you're making the label and um, all of that stuff, but also your labor. And then you also want to include your marketing cost and your utility cost, And that can take some, you know, work to figure out exactly what that cost looks like, because obviously you don't know how you're not calculating each penny of your phone bill into each thing that you're selling. Um, So you take your true cost and then you multiply it by two and that's your wholesale cost. That's what you'll sell. You know, if you sell to a grocery store, um, another reseller. you know, for us, we did grocery stores for a little while, and that wasn't our ideal spot. Um, but we still have gift shops, and we have some small health food stores that buy wholesale. <clears throat> and so that's our cost times two. And then to get your retail cost, what we sell it would be times two, your wholesale price. So that's just industry standard. Now you have to look at that and go, you know, if you're really small, that um, your upfront costs might be higher than if you're doing a lot of um, product at one time, because your cost is going to go down. So you might get to the end of that calculation and then look around you and at your competition and go, "Well, I'm like a hundred times more than them or something. you know So you also have to look at what the market's doing and make sure that you're somewhere in there. Um, Now I know some tea companies like us, they can blend their stuff. They use local ingredients. Um, They're similar size. Their tea is less than ours, but I can't sell it for that and have a business that supports our family Mm -hmm. because we have extra stuff going on. um, That's more than just the tea. So um, this company doesn't put the effort into their packaging. When it goes out, they aren't providing an experience. So you got to look. You know, there's some leeway in there, I guess, is what I'm saying. So, you use the industry standard and then look around you and see what other people are doing. And you might have to start lower and then raise your prices. We did that. We were lower at the market because there was just no way to sell it for that price at the market when there's competition. And, you know, the customer base there was more looking for a deal. They wanted a handcrafted deal um, or a local deal and not so much an experience. So, it's going to vary.
0: So how do you, um, I mean, maybe for yourself or even when you're just talking with customers, when you Mm -hmm. you run into those people who make comments about your prices, because, you know, I I know when when you're in these farm produced item categories, whether it's meat or eggs or tea, it costs more than what you're going to get at Walmart. Oh, and yeah. sometimes people get weird and then that can make the seller feel right. weird. How do you kind of work through all those right. feelings?
1: Right. They, you know, they'll say it's too expensive. It's not worth that. We still get that. That's okay. Yeah. And I think the the thing in the marketing and branding world is if you don't have someone complaining about your price, it's not high enough.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, we don't get that too often. Now they may just leave the website and never say anything. Um, occasionally we do get it. In some ways we see that as that person not being our ideal customer because we are not we're not what they're looking for. Yeah. So um, you know, you go to Walmart to get something that's cheap at Walmart for a reason, and then you know, you order something from Etsy because you want a handcrafted special item, and those are two different customers, so um. We just look at it like that's not our customer. That's someone else's customer. You know, they're looking for Lipton. We're not Lipton. And um, so we don't spend a lot of time maybe trying to convince the customer. We just try and show that in our branding that this is why this is the price it is because you're getting quality. Um, We do some customer education through um, uh, content on you know, why quality is important, why you don't want to buy tea in a tea bag, because it's got bleach in it, and it's got microplastics, and you don't want that. And you're getting tea dust, you're getting the bottom of the barrel, not the top full leaf. And so, you know, we show them in a roundabout way, why it's that expensive, or why it's that much, without kind of just hitting the nail right on the head and, and saying, you know, um, just listing out a reason. So we try and educate them, I guess.
0: Yeah. I like that. And I like just that, you know, that's not my customer. That's okay okay for them. That's okay for you. Um, No words. I like that.
1: Great. And there's lots of, you know, on the competition thing, there's also lots of customers. You have lots of competition, but there's lots of customers, you know, you might have lots of egg selling competition, but you have lots of people that need eggs. And so some people are your customers and some people are the other people's customers. That's okay with me. I'm not out to sell it to everybody. So just those who are looking for this um, kind of product.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, good advice. Um, Do you have any tips for folks on how to make sure their product is indeed profitable and they're not just breaking even or giving it away?
1: Right. You know, in the beginning, there's some of that, just saying, get your name out there. You might, you might not be, super profitably, there's some things you just do for free to get the, you know, you get the education and getting paid different. Um, But knowing your, your cost is super important. Um, you know, you can make things for fun and whatever, but if you're doing it for business, you really need to know your cost. And then you need to, you need to use that um, industry standard for calculating your price. And if you know what all your, your business bills are and your cost is, and you're pricing it right, then you're going to be profitable in the end, and it'll be worth it. But you, you don't want to just give it away. I mean, we give plenty away.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. You I, I, you're very generous with your samples. Uh,
1: I try and be pretty liberal. Um, you know, we've sent things to Canada because they wanted to try it before they paid the ridiculous shipping cost mm-hmm. for the thing, and so I'm all I'm not here to just break it all in and not care about anybody but you do have to be able to make it profitable otherwise you're not going to be able to keep doing it so you know you right. eventually run out of money if it's not profitable
0: exactly so yeah. and I know
1: I know makers have problems with charging for their stuff sometimes and they don't think that it's worth that much or why would somebody pay that for it but that's really the true cost of being able to keep doing it and to make sure you can do it without going broke. <laughs>
0: Agree. Yeah. And then you can keep serving. you got to be able to make that mm-hmm. sustainable long-term. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So we talked, we talked a little bit about the, the branding and the packaging, but can, mm-hmm. do you have any tips for folks who are wanting to create just that packaging that they're super proud of that captures that right. ideal client? How did you come to that point? Cause I love your branding with farmhouse teas. Um, yeah. How did you get, get to this point where you are so cohesive?
1: Well, it came in pieces. It didn't all come out at one time. Some of that has to do with budget availability. Now we have our our custom printed boxes. Before we we were hand stamping those, we got a custom stamp. That's a way a lot of people start out. And that was an affordable way to do it. Um, And then we just added a piece at a time. And most of that came from other companies that had those pieces that I liked. And then we modified them to fit our branding
0: I lost an earbud.
1: I was holding the other side down, but not that side. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's all good. Technology. We'll get that. Yeah.
1: So we looked at other companies when we would order stuff and go, oh, I I like that. How do we work that into our box? Because I like how it came branded that way. So each of our pieces originally came from somewhere else. So like our box idea... Um came from I'm trying to remember the name. Uh is it called man boxes, man gifts. No, I can't remember the name of it. Um crate. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, my mom sent my husband a gift that came from this company and it was this wooden crate, man crates, that's what it's called. <laughs> man and um it was this little crate that was all glued together and it came with a crowbar. And you had to figure out how to open cool. it to get your gift out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the, the box that it came in was just a regular brown box, but the outside says so something like prepared to be entertained and cry and laugh or whatever. And it had all this stuff on the outside. So I was looking at the box going, how can I make that relate to our box? So that's where our box came from. But the uh, crate had a trick where it was glued at the bottom. And the funny thing is that you try and open it in every which way and then realize that it's just glued at the bottom. You have to turn it upside down to get it open. (laughs) So and then it has this fun branded stuff inside. So that's where uh, the box idea came from. And then our little recipe cards came um, from Little Seed Farms, which is a goat milk soap company. Um, When we ordered for them, they had their little card in there with their story and a picture, and I just thought that was cute. So um, ours started out kind of that way, and then when we rebranded, we turned them into recipe cards so that our customers had some some other gift inside that they could use that was practical and that they would save, and our information is on the back of that. Um, The samples... Our, um, I have a friend that does soap here locally and she would always put a a little soap sample inside. Actually, we know a few soap companies that do that. And I thought, Oh, what a good idea. Let's put a sample of tea in there. And then we have our little business card on there and we get lots of questions about, can I just have one cup of this to try it? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a, it's a pain to pack. It's not, it's not our, our style. We don't do tea in tea bags. So everything's loose. So we didn't want to start filling tea bags to send that out. So we um, just put the sample inside of a tiny bag and send those out. And we don't, we don't sell them. They're just kind of a, a bonus in there. So yeah. the tissue paper kind of came from a couple of places. Um, if you've ever ordered anything printed from Canva, they have like custom box everything with blue tissue paper. And the first orders they send a free gift with, and then, um, five Mary's farm you're familiar with and their tissue paper in there. So just kind of seeing what other people were doing and what worked and what we liked and then adding that together. And we kind of call that process here, the secret sauce. My husband calls me the secret sauce boss. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. No guys, if you have not seen CN's boxes, it's really good. Like it's impressive. It's it's a nice and where I'm still
1: looking for ways to improve. So if if there's ideas, I'm open to
0: those. sure. Yeah, um, and I love that you pulled ideas from like outside of your niche. Right. I always tell people, House you know, right. go go outside. Whether you're blogging or whatever you're doing, right. you're you're making soap or like, go outside of what you're doing. Find ideas from other places and bring them in. Right. Um, yeah, that makes it even better. Yeah, I now. don't know
1: don't... of any other tea companies doing that yet. So yeah, I don't they either. all came from somewhere else. I'm always yep. looking everywhere. It doesn't even have to be food or, you know, handmade, just whatever, whatever shows up. we got. Oh, what did I ordered the other day? Oh, it was some inventory for our Mother's Day box. And um, it came with a little card and, they, and two Jolly Ranchers. And they're bribing us to leave them a review. And the little hmm. postcard said, you know, we thought you might like something sweet, but really we're just trying to bribe you into leaving us a review but, you know, in a more cutesy way. Yes. So, you know, it shows up in random things that I'm not even looking for and I just save them and note them down and transfer them into what we're doing.
0: Yeah. I love that. Okay. My last question for you. Um, And this one, we, is kind of a personal, personal question. Selfishly uh, we, so we are working on launching our grass fed beef business and shipping Beef. Yay! I know you're not shipping beef, but you're still shipping. No. And I underestimated how hard it is to get set up with.
1: It's a process.
0: Shipping, right? <laughs> so I mean, I know again, you're not you're not shipping frozen things, but right? How did you get into and understand the world of shipping right. in mass?
1: Yeah. So we started out probably like most people. We take our package to the post office and go, okay, how much is it going to cost me? Um. With four kids in tow and uh, two boxes that that's frustrating so um from there we went to online and usps has like you know you can print out your shipping label and do that um because when we started our e-commerce we we were piecing everything together we were not using a system that was all set up for us and um i probably wouldn't do that again that at the time it was more affordable because there wasn't. A lot of fabulous systems out there, but now there's quite a few uh, website like Shopify. I know you're using Shopify, and that's yeah. what we use. Um, but it simplifies it big time, and they will um, give you like a price for your shipping. They give you discounted shipping, and it just stream streamlines the whole thing. And then we used to like print out the labels and cut them by hand, and then tape yeah. them all on there. Yeah. And you know because the you could get labels to print on the labels, but then they got to line up and your, you know, your inkjet or whatever. And then the next thing up was a label printer, but those are like 300 dollars right? And it's really expensive when you're this tiny little thing trying to get going. But it has been worth every penny and we should have bought it sooner. So if you can like s- streamline it with technology and with um Something like Shopify that's going to calculate that stuff for you is just going to save you so much time and you'll just get further ahead rather than trying to, to piece it all together and get it to work. So now we do our shipping by weight. Um, our tea doesn't weigh very much. So we are on the smaller end of like cost wise. Our boxes are smaller. I know we have friends that do jam. And they're in glass jars and those are a lot heavier and they tend to go with like a flat rate shipping because the cost is lower. Um, But you can also work at building the cost into your product cost when you're calculating your price. Um, Shopify also offers a way to add a percentage to your shipping, like the actual shipping, to cover the cost of your boxes and uh, shipping supplies. So. It's kind of a trial and error, depending on your product. I know like you're going to ship frozen meat. That's probably one of the more complicated things to do, Um, but there's people doing it. So it's possible. And just figuring that out, but like, you know, a glass jar of jam is way different than my light bag of tea. Mm -hmm. So when you're packaging your product, that's probably something to consider too. You know, is this, I mean, we do that here because we carry other stuff than tea, we look at the thing and the weight and we have free shipping at a certain amount. We want to make sure that's not going to throw that off too much and that we accommodate the shipping and the price maybe to make sure we're still profitable.
0: Absolutely. I like what you said about just sometimes biting the bullet and investing in the right tools up front, which is kind of the advice I give a lot of times for homesteaders is I know you want to piece it together and build everything out of pallets and there's a time and place for that, but sometimes you'll actually save money in the long run and also sanity by just getting set up properly at the beginning.
1: Our new favorite quote is by Henry Ford. It says, if you need a machine and don't buy it, then you will ultimately find that you have paid for it and don't have it. That's good. So one of our other streamlining things, because last year we went from me being the only one here working to bring my husband home full time and the business going berserk and us making twice what we have ever made mostly wow. due to COVID and elderberries. Oh, elderberries! <laughs> um, but we were still printing and cutting by hand the labels on the bags mm. because I did not like trying to line them up on pre-cut labels and wasting all the label stock. And so um, it's kind of like the shipping labels. We should have bought the machine. And we bought machine last year. It was a very expensive label printer that only prints labels. It does a fabulous job. It's super fast. It's just like Henry Ford says, we could have bought it in yeah. the beginning and we should have just bought it then. So that's that quote's always on our mind these days, you know, but it's expensive, but you can't get there with what you have. It's going to take a really long time. And if you had that machine, you would already have paid for it just by all the time you save.
0: Yeah, hard lessons, but good lessons. Yes, I think all business owners go through that at some point, right? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right, as we wrap up, anything else you want to share? I know you also had a little freebie for listeners, too.
1: Yep, I do. I put together a little mini ebook um, called Building the Customer Experience, and it's a few pages just showing you the process of how to take your customer online rather than locally and make sure that they have that personalized experience just like they would have if you were able to serve them in person. And by doing that, it's like the machine that you don't have. You, you get more time and you find more customers. And then I also have a resource page for all of the places that we get our materials for making our secret sauce in our box. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited yeah. to get that, yeah. yeah. So um, they can find that at growcreatezip.com. Which is our education branch, um, not our tea branch. Okay. GrowCreateSip dot slash secret sauce freebie.
0: Awesome. Okay, I mean, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, so, guys, go grab that. I, that sounds amazing. I'm going to go grab it myself. And then, for if someone wants to just buy your tea, maybe snoop around on your branding. <laughs> where right. can they go
1: to do that? Uh dot com.
0: And you're on Instagram and Facebook under the same name. Yep. Under okay, the
1: same okay. And YouTube also.
0: Yes, I forgot YouTube. Yes. Um Sian also does kombucha stuff too, guys. So yeah, we have she kombucha.
1: Like, yeah. And then we also have apothecary type herbs and supplies. So
0: I have some of her kombucha tea blends. Like I think peach ginger. Is that one of those Yeah, Peach Ginger, ginger
1: turmeric, strawberry, mojito. Yep, yep. That's a good rose, one. rosemary citrus. Yep. It's kombucha season.
0: It is finally, <laughs> season. I'm ready. So yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, CN. This was fabulous. I learned a bunch. Um, I loved hearing just the thought process that has gone into creating such mm-hmm. an amazing business that you have really um, excelled at. So thank you for your time. For all of you listening, be sure to go check out Ciannefarmhousekeys.com, growcreatesip.com. You can ch- check out that free PDF and you can also find her over on Instagram and Facebook. So Until next time, my friends, happy homesteading.